So tonight, I would like to tell you a story. And it's a Buddhist story. And it's about a disciple of the Buddhas, uh, whose name was uh, Anattapindaka. Anattapindaka. <clears throat> Does anybody here know who Anattapindaka is? Few, few people. Okay, great. Anattapindaka was considered one of the main householders who was actually, if you read this story of when he first meets the Buddha, I have about it, I have part of it here, he said, right, um, a friend of his starts telling him that he's been invited to the Sangha of bhikkhus headed by the Buddha, the, the awakened one. And Anathapindaka says to him, did you say the Buddha? And, and uh, the friend said, I say the Buddha. And Anathapindaka said, do you say the Buddha? And the friend says, I say the Buddha. And Anattapindaka then says, do you say the Buddha? <laughs> and, and he says, yes, the Buddha. And, and Anattapindaka says, this news, the Buddha, the Buddha is hard to come by in the world. Is it possible to go see him? This is how he first finds out about the Buddha. And he gets excited because at least in my understanding, at the time of the Buddha, there are many different um, uh, tribes or sects of people in that area of northern India, Nepal, around there. And there are a lot of spiritual disciples, and, and excuse me, a lot of teachers. And there are different teachers and they're everybody's, you know, like like teachers do. They're promoting what they're teaching and saying, I'm the one. And so for someone to say they're the Buddha was a big deal back then, right? And so Anattapindaka goes and meets him and quickly uh, is touched by the Buddha and the Buddha's teaching and becomes a disciple. And um, Anattapindaka was what we would call basically a businessman. He was a merchant and had some money and had done well, relatively well for his place and time and circumstances. And, um, and he uh, got involved with the Buddha and even um, he... Um, the um, Jetta's Grove, which is an area of the first um, monastery of the Buddhas, the first place where the Sangha had a home was Jetta's Grove. And Jetta's Grove came about because of Anattapindaka. And here it's a little that, um, um, that he knew that the Buddha was looking for a home, some place to land the Sangha, 
because they were itinerant in that way and they needed a place because they were getting bigger and so the only place that seemed to him sufficiently spacious and serene was the for forested preserve of Crown Prince Jetta. And he inquired about buying it. And the prince, so he knew the prince and he talked to the prince and the prince said, oh, you want to buy that? He joked, the prince joked with him and said, I'll sell you whatever portion you can cover with gold. Right? Like... You know, if we wanted to buy Spirit Rock, we have to cover all this land with gold, right? That, that was the price that Prince Jetta was saying. And uh, he went home and brought back enough gold to cover an area of 200 acres that become, became known as Anathapindaka's Garden or Jetta Grove. And, um, but the prince was so moved by his sincerity that he donated the entire forest to the Buddhists. And so you hear this is an archetypal story of his Anathapindaka's devotion and his generosity and how generosity sparks more generosity. That the giving ended up being that the prince also became, gave also. And it's uh, later I found out that his name, the word, uh, is uh, translated in this way. Anatta means without reliance, without reliance. And Pindaka means to give offerings. And normally that compound is interpreted to mean benefactor or to give offerings to those without means. But it can also mean, this is from a, a teacher named Red Pine, it can also mean to give offerings without attachment. To give offerings without attachment, which is the practice praised throughout the teachings about Anatta Pindaka in the suttas, in the stories that have been come down to us from the time of the Buddha. <clears throat> so Anandapindaka's garden was not just a garden but was a teaching itself based on his name. And I'm going to read you the story of Anandapindaka's death because we're studying death and we're steeping in death and we're learning about death and we're, we're uh, letting death touch us. And so the story goes, and I'm, I'm mixing some different translations. One's from Tanisro Bhikkhu and one's from uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, both of which I like and I like my mix of the two of them. <clears throat> so, um, here. So, um, 
So the, the Blessed One, which is one of the euphemisms for the Buddha, was living in Jetta's Grove, Anathapindaka Park. That's how it translated here. Sometimes it's called his garden, sometimes park, but it's what Anathapindaka had offered. And on that occasion, the householder Anandapindaka, Anathapindaka, was afflicted, suffering, gravely ill. And he told a certain person, uh, go to the Blessed One, pay homage to him, and say that the householder and not the Pindaka is afflicted, suffering, and gravely ill. And he pays homage to the Blessed One. And then go to Sariputta, who is one of the chief disciples of the Buddha, and say the same thing, not the Pindaka is suffering, afflicted, gravely ill. And, uh, and then say it would be good, venerable Sariputta, if, to, if you could come to the residence of the householder Anathapindaka out of compassion. So he's sick, he's old, he's dying. And he asks for some help, you know, of the presence of Sariputta. And the person went to the Blessed One, paid his respects, told him, went to Sariputta and told him, and, um, and the Venerable Sariputta consented to come. And then Sariputta dressed and to go visit Anathapindaka. And the Venerable Ananda was his attendant. And so the two of them went. And both of them are key disciples of the Buddha, Sariputta and Ananda. Ananda was a relative, a cousin, who, who attended to the Buddha for 40 years, 35 or 40 years. And really, there's great stories about Ananda because after the Buddha dies, he's not awake yet. And there's a meeting of only the people who are awake. Uh, who've, right? And Sariputta, and it's, can't come and he, so he's trying to practice really hard to awaken and it's not happening and it's not happening and then it's the next morning is the meeting and he won't be able to go and finally he goes to lay down and go to sleep because he's so tired of because he's trying so hard and as he almost hits the pillow he wakes up it's a great story about when awakening actually happens one never knows and uh, so, so they go and they sit next to uh, uh, Anathapindaka and they say, I hope you are getting well, householder. I hope you are comfortable. <clears throat> I hope your painful feelings are subsiding and not increasing. And their subsiding and not increasing is apparent. And then I'm switching translations, so some words might change. And then Anathapindaka says, I am not getting better. He's very direct with them. I'm not getting better. I'm not comfortable. My extreme pains are increasing, not lessening. There are signs of their increasing and not of their lessening. And extreme forces, now he's describing a little bit what could happen and yes, 
and it what happened for him. Extreme forces sliced through my head, just as if a strong man were slicing my head open with a sharp sword. Right? So he's describing the pain that he's feeling and the discomfort. He said, extreme pains have arisen in my head, just as if a strong man were tightening a turban made of tough leather straps around my head. My, my uh, pain is not subsiding. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look a little bit at the other one. I am not getting well, is how he puts it. And then, um, just as if a skilled butcher or his apprentice were to carve up an ox's belly with a sharp butcher's knife, so too violent winds are carving up my belly. I am not getting well. And he goes on, just as if two strong men were to seize a weaker man by both arms and roast him over a pit of hot coals, so too there is a violent burning in my body. I am not getting well. I am not comfortable. My painful feelings are increasing, not subsiding. Their increase and not subsiding is apparent. Okay, so you... It's a, you know, he's, it's serious and difficult and painful and it's part of what can happen. And especially at that time and place, I don't know what the medicines were or how available they were. So we're hearing his experience. And then um, uh, Sariputta gives him a teaching and he says, you should train thus. This earlier I said something about training. It was I was jumping ahead in my mind without knowing it to this sutta. You should train yourself thus. Wait, I want to see how he he writes it too. Yeah, you should train yourself thus. And I'm going to go back here. Right. Um, you will not cling to the eye. And consciousness will not be dependent on the I. Thus you should train. Maybe. <clears throat> I, um, I won't cling I or one, I'm changing the word. Uh, one, I won't cling to the ear, to the nose, to the tongue, to the body, and my consciousness will not be dependent on the body. Or attached is the other word for dependent, right? I won't cling to the intellect, and my consciousness will not be dependent to, on the intellect. That is how to train yourself. <clears throat> yeah, and then and he continues to give him this teaching, a deep teaching, a powerful teaching, and it's the teaching that he's giving to Natapindaka as he's dying, right? I won't cling to forms, to sounds, to smells, to tastes, to tactile sensations, and my consciousness will not be dependent on tactile sensations. I won't cling to ideas and my consciousness will not be dependent or attached to ideas. This is how to train oneself. 
and then he keeps going and then you talk this is a very Theravadan understanding that there's the um, sight and the object of sight and then what arises the knowing is called consciousness in this way and so you'll hear how it's used. Then householder, you should train yourself in this way, train yourself thus. I won't cling to eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, body consciousness, and my consciousness will not be dependent on body consciousness. I will not cling to intellectual consciousness, and my consciousness will not be dependent on the mind, really, is what's being pointed at. And he continues, householder, train yourself thus. Train yourself in this way. I won't cling to the contact of the seeing of something or the hearing of something or the contact of the smell or the contact of taste or the contact of sensations or the contact with one's mind. Right? And my consciousness will not be dependent on these things. And then householder, train yourself thus. <clears throat> one will not, one doesn't cling to the feelings that come because of the experience of perception of, from the sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, uh, sensation, thought. One doesn't cling to any of that. And then he goes further. Uh, Sariputta says, Householder, you should train yourself in this way. I won't cling to the earth element. I won't cling to the water element. I won't cling to the fire element. I won't cling to the, cling to the wind element. I won't cling to the space element. And my consciousness will not be dependent on earth, water, fire, air, space. And train, you should train yourself in this way. I won't cling to form or feeling or perception or thought fabrications. And I won't cling to consciousness and my consciousness will not be dependent on consciousness. And you hear the paradox here as a more non-dual understanding of freedom is being offered here. My consciousness will not be dependent on consciousness. And that's how you should train yourself. So he's being offered this deep teaching as he's dying. And he responds after taking in the teaching, feeling it, sensing it, hearing it, staying present with himself. And he says then, oh, I'm sorry, there's a little more before that comes. Um, um, and then Sariputta says, you should train yourself in this way. I won't cling to the dimension of infinitude of space and to the dimension of infinitude of consciousness, or the dimension of nothingness, or the dimension uh, of, um, I won't cling to the sphere of neither perception nor non-perception. 
And so you're hearing more and more subtle states of consciousness that are available to us, that are knowable. And there are certain levels, really it's, these are jhanic levels of samadhi that are available to human beings and were highly valued in the time of the Buddha. And the Buddha went beyond those levels of, of samadhi that were so... Um, appreciated and somewhat idealized and seen as the goal for many people because they're pretty out there states of consciousness and if you've had a taste of them it's like worlds open up that often aren't available to us but they're possible for us And then, and then it's a little more. I'm going to keep going. Uh, uh, train yourself in this way. I won't cling to this world. My consciousness will not be dependent on this world. I won't cling to the world beyond. And consciousness will not be dependent on the world beyond. This is how to train oneself. And train yourself in this way. I won't cling to what is seen, heard, sensed, cognized, attained, sought after, pondered by the intellect. And consciousness will not be dependent on any of that, what is heard, sensed, cognized, attained, sought after. And when this was said, Anatta Pindaka, the householder, wept and shed tears. He wept and shed tears. And, and Ananda said to him, are you sinking, householder? Are you foundering? Are you dying, basically, he's asking him. And Anattapindika said, no, venerable, no, I am not sinking. I am not foundering. It's just that for a long time I have attended to the teacher capital T, meaning the Buddha. I've attended to the Buddha and to the uh, monastics who inspire my heart, but never before have I heard a talk on the Dharma like this. Right? So, this he'd never heard this level of teaching that's being given to him, but it's being given to him as he's dying because he's dying. And and I'll give a little background about that in a minute. And then, and then Sariputta says, this sort of talk on the Dharma householder is not given to householders clad in white. That was the, the uniform if you were a householder, clad in white. This sort of Dharma is only given to those who have gone forth, who have let go of the householder life. And so this is very important and very important for us because it changed our experience because of what happened here. And you'll hear it. In that sense, Venerable Sariputta, please let this sort of talk on the Dharma be given to householders clad in white. They, there are clans people with little dust on their eyes who are wasting away through not hearing this level of dharma. There will be those who understand it. Right? And so Anatta Pindaka was speaking for us, which is really saying, whoa, in my language, wait. This needs to be taught to people because there are people who will understand and wake up. 
but they need to hear this level of dharma. And, and so please, there are people, and the metaphor is with little dust on their eyes. And so, and so the Venerable Sariputta and Ananda, having given the instruction to Ananda Pindika, got up from their seats and left. But it cha- that, this talk and what Ananda Pindika did changed the teachings that were given to householders. And then after that, it was given to us and we have the full teaching. It's not withheld for people who have, quote, left the world. Um, and the, the understanding was, at least what I've read in commentaries, is the reason they didn't want to give this teaching to householders and you could even reflect for yourself about why not, right? Um, part of the reason was that there was some fear or concern there was some concern that householders would not fulfill their householder responsibilities if this level of letting go was taught to them. That the Buddha and the monastics didn't want to disrupt the coherency of householder life and what actually householders need to do, which is pay the rent and buy the food and take care of your partners or family or friends and community and be involved in politics and deal with the world. Because that there's a different level of letting go that's being pointed at here that is not about not fulfilling your responsibility. It's about your relationship. It's about one's relationship to the basics of reality and letting go of sight, sound, taste, touch. It doesn't mean we stop seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, even enjoying, but it's pointing at the basic teaching that is offered in all of Maranasati practice, which is letting go. And he's dying and they're saying, let go. That's, that's the advice that Sariputta has for uh, Anattapindaka as he's dying, is let go. And then the teachings are offered to us to see that we can let go any time, actually. This is my way of speaking about it, that letting go is key to realizing the truth and realizing the Dharma and realizing the truth of who and what we are and what's sitting here and the potential that the Buddha pointed at when he said every person, no matter at his time, whatever class they were or whatever gender they were or whatever economic difficulty, meaning even the untouchables were included, right? He did a radical political uh, cut through 
in terms of our div- his the diversity of his time or the prejudice of his time by saying this teaching is available to every person who's alive right and so and then offering the deepest level of the teaching which is about letting go and not holding on and it's an important piece that that's taught in buddhism <clears throat> and there's a classic teaching it's called the upadana right which is about um clinging right and the four types of clinging that are um pointed at and i'll just mention them so they're in the field in general and we learn about them in this kind of way there's the clinging to sense pleasure like something that feels good or we like or we taste good or it looks good or there's something it sense it's good sensorily sense i'm looking for the right word it's sensually good and i don't mean sexually i mean sensually the the tongue and the taste of you know i happen to like coconut water oh it's so good it's there's sense pleasure in that or um really looking out at you there's certain sense pleasure that i have in seeing living beings who are sitting here and it's just in my experience a little bit wild that we're all here and that you're all alive and you're all different every one of you and it's and sometimes i see the difference other times i don't but when i see the difference it's like it's got a little wow to it there's a sense pleasure in the aliveness that's here and or, or it sounds i mean sometimes you know i i'm tired of the turkeys to be honest <laughs> <laughs> I've lived with them here a long time but it's even still sometimes when I'm really here and all of a sudden the turkey starts whatever they do cackling at me it's like it's like wow it's so beautiful like that's they're talking right in their way and and so I'm just pointing at something we get attached to because it's pleasant in some way shape or form can be very grossly pleasant or very subtly pleasant and then the buddha said we also cling to wrong views which is our ideas our beliefs our we know and it's one reason why we teach the not knowing and the import of not knowing is cuz we get so attached we cling to our views it doesn't mean you can't have views but don't cling to them hold them lightly one of my teachers when i was studying when i was doing serious jhana practice and and samadhi practice uh you know i was talking to him almost every day as and um and uh and he would and he and we were trying to refine my understanding of what was happening with these subtler and subtler and more and more a little bit out there states of consciousness that can come and he said he had a great thing he said okay well put a posted on that one and let's call it that for now and then let's see what it is and that's a great way to work with 
views. Okay, this is what this is how I see it now, but it's only a post-it because I may discover more in the next 10 minutes or tomorrow in the next three weeks or a year even. So that, okay, this is what I understand. This is what I see. This is my view, but I'm not just reifying it or concretizing it. I'm, it's a post-it. You can buy post-its at any hardware store now. So you, you don't have to take it too seriously. And then he, said, he also talked about in the four Upadana, the attachment or the clinging to rites and rituals, to form, to the rites and rituals which were highly valued in the religions that were around him and part of that culture. And they weren't bad things, they're not bad, and rites and rituals are very beautiful and powerful even. We have our own rites and rituals. Even bowing is just, it's a rite or, or a ritual that we do. And it has its place, but being attached to it like, oh, that's it. That's what I want. Well, you can have it. I'll give you all the bowing you want forever. But maybe that might not bring freedom, which is, again, what, what was being pointed at for Anattapinda because he was dying. And just the fourth um, um, upada, Upadana uh, was... Uh, the clinging to self, clinging to self, clinging to our identity, clinging to our personality, clinging to our conditioned identity, which we all have some of. And it's not a bad thing, and it's good, you know, and it's good to know which self you are, right? Like I'm Eugene, I know that, you know, I know where Eugene's car is, and it's good I get into that. I don't I don't get into Nikki's car and try to take her car and Nikki might not be happy with that, you know, so we're we're good with that. But but that might not also be what brings freedom or what I what why do I need to attach attach to Eugene, right? Because there was a time when there wasn't a Eugene. And I was I was around, but there wasn't a Eugene. And I remember it. I was there, I remember it quite well. I was in the crib, and I'm lying there, and they kept saying Eugene, Eugene. I'm like, I'm looking around. Who's Eugene? Where, where's Eugene? And then I realized, oh, they're talking about me. Oh, I, maybe I'm Eugene, right? And then and it made them happy when I thought I was Eugene. So I said, oh yeah, I'm Eugene. I'll be Eugene. They like me when I'm Eugene. So it, it, and I'm pointing to the dynamic of what creates identity. And it's not a bad thing, really important actually. Important part of human development and, and maturity, but it's not the end of human development. There's another level, and, and this is personal now, but when I think about the Buddha and what happened for him, I like to talk about, uh, you know, I can say awakening or he was realized or enlightened and, you know, those are okay. But really what I think is he became a fully mature human being. He became a fully mature human being who realized the potential of what it is to be a human being beyond the usual identity that we attach to as a human being. And that 
inspires me personally because it's a human awakening. It's a human possibility for us to mature and realize the potential that's sitting in each seat here that includes intelligence and heartfulness and kindness and fierceness at times and, and clarity and perception. And, it's, and you all, we all have it. And we want to keep letting it mature so that it's free of the upadana, it's free of what constricts the freedom, which is clinging, which is the cause of suffering. And so, as Anattapindaka said, he said he wasn't sinking or foundering. He just never heard this talk. And, and he he, when he heard that it wasn't given to householders, he said, please give this talk on non-clinging to everyone, to all of us, and it's ours. And whoever you are, whatever your conditions are, right, of gender or sexual orientation or race or religion or age or economic conditions, the same teaching is offered to each of us here, which is to let go and not cling, not hold on, and see what happens. And again, this is more Eugene kind of teaching, but if you want to cling, go ahead. You can cling as much as you want, but see where is freedom and where is the absence of freedom? Where is suffering? And where's the absence of suffering? <clears throat> and one of the pieces that I like to add on to this story. I mean, there are a few things I'll say. One is I so appreciate the householder tradition in Buddhism because I'm a householder. And I appreciate the depth of practice that Anattapindaka had and recognized and gave to us in this way as part of his dying and awakening. And uh, um, I also appreciate the, the teaching of letting go, partly because it's so true, meaning what I've personally seen in my life and with my experience of having some kind of near-death experience is there's actually nothing we can actually hold on to. There's, at least in my experience and perception, there's nothing I can actually hold on to. And you can, and of course I say this asking you to really check for yourself. See if there's anything you can really hold on to, anything you can actually cling to and not let go of. Because I can't find it 
personally. I see how my mind or my feelings get connected to something and believe it can hold on to something. But I also see there's nothing I can actually hold on to. Everything is appearing, sustaining for a moment or a while, and then it's changing, fading, dying, disappearing. And that's my understanding is the Buddha said to wake up to the way things are, to the truth of the way things are. And for me, that's a truth, that there's everything is simply coming and going. And I don't, I, I can't cling to anything. I can act like I can cling to it, but I can't. And there's nothing here I can keep, right? Not my body, not my heart, not my mind. It's all doing itself. It's all doing itself. like the sounds out there. Frogs or crickets, they're just doing themselves. Everything simply happens on its own. The sun rises, it sets. The weather comes, it goes. Who knows what's gonna happen with our world, right? There's a tremendous dukkha happening in our world, especially ecologically, right? And maybe this world will not last. And that's also part of the nature of what's true. Everything is appearing for a moment or a while or a long, long time and then changes or disappears. And as householders, as, as the, the Buddha and the monastics were clear, it doesn't mean we're not responsible for our life in the world, but we also see the full picture of anything can happen and we don't know what will happen. And so the more we can be here and not be bound by our clinging or our attachments, and remember aversion and, and, and grasping are both clingings, right? Then we have the freedom to let the truth of who and what we are respond to reality. What is sometimes classically called our Buddha nature. Letting our Buddha nature respond to reality. Letting our 
letting the sure hearts release, which is one of the beautiful metaphors for awakening, letting the sure hearts release, respond to the truth, to our lives. just finish the story a little bit formally about Anathapindika's death. And in the mythology of that time and place, he dies and goes to the Tushita heaven, which is a Buddhist heaven, and whatever that means. And, uh, and then he has a little he has a meeting with the Buddha after he's died. And, uh, and the Buddha um, appreciates his awakening that happened as he died, that he had a very full awakening. Right. And he tells Sariputta, he says, any, any monastic who has gone beyond at best can only equal Anattapindaka in discernment, virtue, calm. And really that's, those are uh, three characteristics of the Eightfold Path of Sila Sam, Samadhi Panya, um, meaning wisdom and, uh, and uh, unity of heart and mind and, and virtue. So let's sit for a minute, please. And as you sit for just a couple minutes, you might just let everything happen on its own. And just be aware how everything is just doing itself. Thoughts, feelings, sensations, sounds, smells, tastes, touch. Even our opinions do themselves.
Thank you for your kind attention. Um, we have a period of walking practice. And please feel free not to wait for me to get up to go because I have a bunch of things here. So thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.